Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob, and I'm here with Stephanie, and we're going to talk about her her story of her story of brokenness and finding healing and, and how she has continued on past healing and inviting others to find healing and hope and restoration mm-hmm. and, and how she's also starting a new ministry called Bulletproof. So Stephanie, I am so glad that you're here. Thank you. And would you introduce yourself um, as if you're talking to a group of executive directors of Pregnancy Clinics who may or may not know you? Uh, how would you introduce yourself to a group sure. like that? My name is Stephanie Jacobson, and I am from Kansas City, Missouri. I've just moved to Florida. Um, I am not new into the post-abortive work, but I've had two abortions. And so I have been on this journey for a very long time, but I began my healing about five years ago. And God has brought me to a place that I'm doing a lot of different things at this point, but he's pushing me in a direction of maybe starting my own ministry and working with women and men through the trauma of abortion. So so let's talk about... Um healing from trauma mm-hmm. um, where, where so if someone if a pregnancy clinic wanted to help women who have experienced abortion um, what would you what do you, what would they need to hear possibly as the some of the first few ideas of how to how to achieve that um, let, let's say they well let me let me start, actually let me ask you a different question if, if a pregnancy clinic has a post abortive healing retreat, Okay. How might what you're doing with H3 or this new ministry idea, how would that pair or go with or be different or the same as maybe um, one of, like, like a post-abortive retreat experience? Like, uh, I'm wondering how, what, you're, what you're doing with H3 or yeah, your new ministry, how that might, yeah, how might it fit within that space? Okay. First of all, we have to find the women. Okay. Okay. And so that's kind of where H3 comes in. It's the umbrella for all post, for all pregnancy resource centers. It, it fills in the gaps when they're not on the phone lines that we answer the phones. So I'm a phone coach on there. So when someone, when someone who needs help, um, calls the H3 national hotline, Mm -hmm. they would talk to someone like you. Correct. And then that would possibly be a way to connect. So tell me what, what yeah, so what's their journey look like? So they re- they pick up the phone, they got the phone number, and they, they call. Yes. Then where does that go? Well, we have a virtual phone line, which all of our phone coaches are all over the United States. So we've had calls from every single solitary state. But I may be in Florida. They might I might get a call from California. So when they call us, every every um, phone coach has had an abortion. So we immediately can hear their story two o'clock in the morning, midnight, whatever time we wake up and, and we answer their call. And, um, we hope to get them to a place where we're going to be able to collect their data, to be able to put it into our data database, to be able to get them an email and get them back to the pregnancy resource centers that's closest to them so they can walk through the, uh, the trauma with them. So okay. Th- yes. So it sounds like you're effectively like maybe like 
the option line for the abortion healing the abortion healing hotline for women who are uh, who are seeking help and then be, and then receiving help while also being um, uh, connected or shared or the baton is being passed to right. the local pregnancy clinic. Correct. Okay, Correct. so it's sort of like you're the the, the the you know it's like the doorway mm-hmm. for someone who's seeking abortion healing help, mm-hmm. and then and then they can experience the the Bible study version of, you know, that experience or Correct. the retreat version of the experience and yes. the continue on. Yes. Okay. But we also deal with women that are looking to have an abortion. A lot of women will call and say, I want to know if you've had one, then what did you go through and what? And so we're on call 24 seven and also every day of the year. So Christmas, mm. I've gotten phone calls on Thanksgiving. Um, and it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. And yet I know I'm doing a service to these women. I'm also doing a service to the pregnancy resource centers. So, you know, nobody wants to work on Thanksgiving. <laughs> nobody wants to work on Christmas. But, yeah. you know, even, even during what we were doing here, I keep an earpiece in my ear. I always can, I was on call today. So you, you take a call wherever you are and you're able then to get that back to our database, which then gives them, give us the, give us the ability to send them an email. It is still up to them to make that phone call to the pregnancy resource center or a virtual resource center that we have that that's available to them if they want to do it online. But the trauma they're going through right there at that moment. And a lot of times when they go in to get a sonogram from a pregnancy resource center, they'll walk out that day. If, if, if that resource center will put our palm card in their hand, they go home and at midnight they're struggling again. They see that card and they call us. We're able then to talk to them in their moment of trauma. Okay. And then calm, hopefully walk through that with them, however long that takes. And, you know, we try to keep it as short as we can, but we'll, we'll walk them through wherever they are right there at that moment and hopefully get them back to maybe where they were that day or virtual or something. So, so when someone needs, uh, when someone calls, Mm -hmm. how do I, how do you identify that they are in need of, um, trauma healing or how do you identify mm-hmm. that they have trauma? Okay. Well, we, we identify where they are, where they are in the process. So okay. if they've, if they've had an abortion, it's pretty simple. You just, can you tell me your story? Where are you? What are you safe? Do you have, you know, you ask certain questions to make sure they're in a safe place. Sometimes they're driving. Sometimes they're, Oh you know, wow. That would be dangerous to deal with trauma while driving. I think it's dangerous. And we okay. have to make sure that they're in a, in a safe place. The other thing is I've, you know, we get calls when we've gotten calls, gotten calls in the middle of their abortion at home with the medical abortion. We've had, um, I've gotten those phone calls myself. So it's, it's very, um, you talk about trauma, that trauma is in the, you're in the middle of the trauma. And so at that point we get them to the reversal pill if we can. Okay. We always give them that number, you know, where we've got those, those resources Mm. on hand. So it's really good to see all the resources that are available to us. And, um, you know, our main thing is to get them to a safe place, making sure that they can take that next step. Um, we've had phone calls. I took the phone call where a woman, 
had a baby that she had in a in a medical abortion and um, did not know what to do with the baby, wrapped it up and put it in the freezer and was asking me, what do we do with this? So yeah. I had to call my executive director and say, we've got a situation. So, you know, there's there's times when I don't know exactly what to tell them. And so we do gather their information so that we can then get back to them because we have someone follow up with them within 48 hours. We send them an email, follow up with them within 48 hours, and then they're able to ask questions then to our follow-up woman. And she's amazing with them. And she's read all my notes or read all of our notes, and she knows what the situation is. Um, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, I've taken over 250 phone calls from women now. Um, How long does the average phone call experience last? It can be 15 minutes. That's very short. Okay. I don't want to tell you how long I've been on the phone sometimes with well, women. But I think, you know, executive directors might want to know, like, what's the range? Like, yeah. I would expect it's probably, is it maybe 45 to an hour and 15 on average or? I had one tonight that was 37 minutes. Okay. So. Is that typical or normal? That is what we try to keep them at. I'm okay. not very good at that because if I've got somebody in trauma, I will, I will take them, try to take them down the road of giving them a purpose of why they're doing certain things and why they're here. And especially if, the, if they have a faith base, that's one of the questions that I ask. Do you have a faith base? And, you know, a lot of them will say, no, I don't. So you go the route of science or you go the route of then, so why are you, you know, what can I help you with? And so sometimes you don't feel like you can help them, but they want to know they're not alone. This is, mm -hmm. this is the purpose of us having a ministry, women, men, whoever's in trauma, yeah. they want to know that they're not alone in this. Um, so... So if they, yeah, so let's say a woman says, um, I don't have a faith. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, it feels like if, they, if she says she does have a faith, that leads to a whole different set of different questions. So how, how effective or what's it look like to provide trauma healing without Jesus as one of those, uh, one of the ingredients or right. you know, the main ingredient perhaps? Right. That's difficult sometimes because we have to navigate and try to bring them back to the fact that this baby was actually a beating heart. Okay. Um, sometimes I've, I've had a phone call, even recently, a woman that was science, like she, she was based in science. So I took her through the questioning of, was this a child? And she's like, well, I've been pro-choice all my life. And I said, but was the heart beating? So what, what happened was I, I asked her, I said, do you, do you believe that in the birth canal that this baby, when it comes into the, the world, that it's a baby? Yes. Okay. So you, you take it back from there and you allow her to answer these questions in her mind. And then if it's not a beating heart, then why would you need to abort this child if it's not alive? So they then start to understand that this was a real living breathing, not breathing, what, what, but, you know, real living entity. Yeah. Well, and, and it could be, it could, you know, he or she could have a name. 
yeah. um, you know, there's identifying features. Uh, so what's the difference between the trauma of abortion to mm-hmm. maybe like the, or do you, even, I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, but okay. or compared to the trauma of a miscarriage, yes. how, do, how do those differ and how do those maybe, um, how are those similar perhaps? Well, they're both loss. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to deal with the loss. Okay. Um, and I think in a, in a miscarriage, we haven't looked at loss for miscarriage like we should because okay. we haven't treated it as life. We've treated it, I'm sorry. And, and that, I had two miscarriages. I've had two abortions. So I've experienced both of those. Okay. And in abortion, you come to a place of, I did something to cause this. In miscarriage, your body is naturally doing something, and so you you have a little bit different trauma. It's not the same, but they're both loss. Mm-hmm. So we, as pregnancy resource centers, have to deal with loss in overall. But when we're dealing with abortion, we have to, okay, as opposed to abortive mother, I have to take full responsibility for what I did. There's no healing if we don't get to a place where we take full responsibility. Okay. And it's it's the preg- pregnancy resource centers, um, post-abortive ministries or whatever, you know, that they walk them through. It is, it is not their, I mean, how do I say this? It, it is not their um, job to make that person believe. Okay. However... If you put the right pieces together in front of them, they're going to start to understand. And, and there's so many good ones out there. Um, forgiven and set free, um, you know, surrounding the secret. There's lots of different um, post-abortive ministries that, that walk through this with these women. But it's the woman that has to come to a realization, no matter what put them on the table, that they still walk through the trauma. Mm. They were there. That was their trauma. And they have to take responsibility for it. That's the hardest thing for a post-abortive woman to understand. Um, so. Yeah. And, and it feels like, or it seems like, when someone's abortion-minded, if she goes mm. to a Planned Parenthood, there's an 80, 90% chance that abortion will be the outcome. Correct. And if she goes to a pregnancy clinic, Mm -hmm. there's an 80, 75, 70, 80% chance that she'll choose life. And so um, the number one cause of abortion, I think, is the person you talk to or the number one Hmm. cause for life Hmm. is the person you talk Talk to. to. Sure. The number one, you know, that's why we have to get the word out there that this, we've been, we've been educated with lies. Yeah. Okay. So, so how do you get the word out there? How do you make these women understand? It's like a a woman that I was talking to said, I'm pro choice. And I said, okay, did you hurt? And she said, I'm hurting now. And I said, whether you believe that it was your right to take the life of that child or not, we still got the carnage of the woman 
from, you know, 1973 to now. So one abortion, one abortion affects 30 people. That's the statistic. Okay. Who, who are the 30 people being affected? Well, I wrote mine out. Yeah. Mine were over 50. Okay. On one abortion. Okay. So and it affects generation to generation. The father. Generation. Yes. The, um, the grandparents. Sure. Um. Who else would be on that list? I mean, siblings. I, siblings, okay. Mm -hmm. Aunts. Aunts. Uncles. Yeah. Their children, future generations. You can't look into that because they're not there. But you, mine was over 50. I have a, I have a large family. Of, so if you think of the family tree, mm -hmm. um, effectively, the life of a person is... It you know, essentially could have an entire branch branching. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's really in the end. It sounds like you know, it's it's more than a, a loss of a tree. It's more of the loss of a future forest. And so the <laughs> that's a good or, point. Or or yeah. the or the current yeah family structure has now been, you know, who who yeah out of the out of those who are affected, the the trauma seems to probably touch probably the thirty or fifty. Yeah. Um, in a way. Okay, so... And, and I'm not sure about that, but maybe you could speak to... Well, because the woman is receiving trauma. Mm -hmm. The father... What, what if we... Well, and then you've got two sides of that family. So the yeah. father's family. You've got his mom and dad. You've got... You know, so I, when I was thinking... At first, I was just thinking about my side of the family. But then I started adding his side of the family in. And it's like, yeah. and you don't know who it's all going to affect because then you've got, I've got 14 grandchildren. These 14 grandchildren will never know their, their aunt and uncle that are gone. So will they know about them? Yes, they will. But they're gone. And so their children and their children's children, you know, you don't know. So, yeah. So do you have fathers or dads or men do you have mm -hmm. men calling h3 sometimes absolutely really absolutely what how um how might you handle a call from a, a man mm -hmm. how might that be different or the same as a woman who calls in sure well some of the same questions in the beginning just to make sure they're safe make sure that we're on the same page that you, you know why are you calling okay um but we have men on h3 okay so so you might route them to a, uh, we a, do a man. Okay, we do. I will take the information I can if they're willing. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you have to go ahead and talk through this with them because you don't know if they're going to give you their information. You don't. So you have to get. You have to. You have to. Just like pregnancy resource centers, there has to be a, a safety, um, safe feeling for that person and. We do try to route them to them as quickly as we can, though. Okay. Um, but they have to call them back. That's the only thing that we have. That So sometimes these men, if you know that they're going to get off the phone and they're not going to call back, then you might go ahead and continue, and continue the conversation. So we have... we have. Uh, so it sounds like you have um, your, 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 the, the women volunteers mm -hmm. take, fielding the calls, 
Mm-hmm. And is that mostly because a majority of the people who are calling are women? Are women. Yes. What percent of the oh. callers are men? Is it like 5% or is it? <laughs> you know, I don't know. But something small, it sounds like, yes. compared to the women. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'm able to get a hold of, of our men within 24 hours and okay. they can get back with them ASAP. What is the danger of not dealing with trauma? Like, what does that lead to? Um, <laughs> Like what is what is the uh, the consequences or the risk of not when you know like what what would be the urgency or the importance of dealing with trauma? Can I go back to the one in thirty? Sure. Okay. So the statistic is, and I didn't make the statistic up. This is on the books. Um, one abortion affects thirty people. So since nineteen seventy three, we've had almost sixty four million abortions. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take, you think 30 people, okay, no big deal, right? All right. I mean, but then you, t- I know. But you, you, but you multiply or, or compound that with. I, okay, with, and here, here's the thing. A lot of people don't want to take the 64 million women. It's like, well, I, you had two abortions. I've known women that have had 12 abortions. So that trauma is to just that woman. But I am here to tell you <laughs> that both of those abortions were different. I had to deal with both of them differently. They had different fathers. They had different feelings. I married the first one's father. The second one, I didn't. I didn't, I had a different feeling for that second one. So the trauma from the second one was different than the trauma from the first one. So when we try to, to say, well, let's only take a third of these women and, you know, you can't because I had to deal with both abortions in a different manner. Does that make sense? Kind of, sounds, sort of. It, it sounds. <laughs> well, I think there's a term. Well, there, um, uh, there's a term, and it came from a heartbeat uh, in-depth day from like four years ago. It was called like compounded. Mm-hmm. Either, either either it was the word compounded trauma, mm-hmm. or it was like when you have trauma mm-hmm. on top of trauma, correct? And it creates a different. Um, I think it was compound trauma. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds like if you have a trauma and then you simply and you add more trauma to it, it's not like it's still the same. Now it's more complicated to correct um, consider or to work sure. through or to figure out. Okay, so so that's why I take every abortion individually, and so you've got the thirty people that it, that an abortion affects. Okay, you take that by. Um, 64 million, you get 1,800,000,000 people. So one of the main trauma effects or symptoms from abortion is anger. Our country is very, very, very angry. Okay. Yeah. We only have 333 million people as of the 1st of January, 2021 in the United States of America. Every person in the United States of America has been affected by abortion. Now, is abortion the national sin? No, it isn't. It's my sin. It's my sin to deal with. You have your own sin. Next person has his own sin. So my trauma is not going to, my trauma is going to be from the abortion. Your trauma may not, you may not have the trauma that somebody else has, but trauma has to be dealt with individually that's why it's important for these women and men to call to get help when they're when they're looking for something, but um, looking for help. They're in yeah. this trauma zone. So 
So when it comes to trauma, the trauma of abortion, mm-hmm. um, is it tied to not speaking the truth or mm-hmm. not confessing, or is it tied? What would what would be the action of of exposing the healing or bringing the healing? Is it a matter of confessing, or is or is it something? How would you describe that? You know the the steps or actions that someone could take to, to you know to find healing if it was as a believer of Jesus for that side of the audience who is seeking help. That's the part I like the best. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because when someone who is starting to feel the effects of the abortion, okay, it took me forty years. Okay, my abortions. And it was actually 38 years, but at 40 years, God said, 40 has a significant number. It's a significant number in the Bible. 40 means captivity, Mm. but it also means deliverance. So two years ago, God said, you you have a deliverance from this. So, but what was the deliverance? And you're asking me, how do you get to that point? Yeah, it sounds like the, the 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 question I should have asked is is how do you start seeking? Like, what is that? What how does that start? The seeking for help or or healing. So abortion undermines the fabric of the family, which undermines the fiber of the nation. So abortion undermined everything that happened in my life. Okay. So like as, as if it is sabotaged what you're trying to do. Well, you parent differently. You may hear a sermon differently. Mm. I go home, I sit in church and I try to hear what the pastor's saying and I go home and think I'm going to implement this in our family, but I haven't told anybody about that deep dark dirty secret. So it's like as if I you have. have like special lenses that that it, all everything you're thinking or hearing or seeing is running through the filter of Exactly. I have an abortion that I haven't yes. confessed or shared. Yes. And, Where and does freedom it's like, come it's like from? having like this weight. Does yes. it feel like a weight? You don't or know that it that's like? what it's coming oh, from. Oh, okay. Because you're, you're in this bondage. You're in a bondage of, of lies. Okay. Okay. So when you want to say something and I did, I wanted to say something and I couldn't because the church I was raised in church. How could you have done something? I was saved when I was five years old. I had Jesus in my heart since I was five. So the, the church may not have been a safe place to share. It wasn't a safe place. Yeah. It was not a safe place for me. So, um, who was the first person you shared hmm, your story with, or do you remember the first person? I do. Okay. I do. There was a man that, that actually was in my church. And so he had moved to North Dakota and was fighting abortion back when I was having my abortion. Okay. Okay. I knew that he had been put in jail. He'd been put on house arrest. Fighting abortion and what? This was years before it was okay to fight abortion. It was like an activist, Mm -hmm. perhaps. He was on the sidewalk. They arrested him. He's one of the first people. He wasn't. No, 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 no. He was praying. Oh. No, this was back like this was back in 1970. Arrested for praying. <laughs> yes, they took him. And not yelling. No, <laughs> no. This was that's this, so bizarre. <laughs> well, because sidewalk 
advocacy back then was not side. You could not advocate on the sidewalk back then. Okay. This was before any of this was okay and available. So 40 or how, 42 years ago. Years ago. So uh, that would have been, uh, is that 80? Right? No, it was been 70, 78. 78. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. So Roe v. Wade was five years old at the time when I okay. had my first abortion. Okay. And that was 73, so 73, right. 78, 77. Correct. So who is the first person you asked or you shared mm-hmm. your, um, were you, how did you share and who was it? I was hurting. It was probably, and I honestly don't know the timeline on this, but I was misdiagnosed with bipolar because of the anger that I had. In fact, the way I know it was misdiagnosed, I know that you asked me a different question this, but this no, leads good. into yeah, this. Yeah, it makes sense. So I had, we had been married for about eight years and there was this, I, I had so much anger in me that I didn't know where it was coming from. I was angry at my husband. I was angry at my children. I was angry at myself. I was angry at God. I was angry at everything. And I was trying to figure it out. There were no pregnancy resource centers. There were no post-abortion ministries. There was nothing to help. I didn't know where to go. There was no place to go. So um, I knew this guy. I'd been misdiagnosed with bipolar. And the reason I know I was misdiagnosed was because they put me on lithium and I about died. I mean, it was not working. I felt dead. I then... So when someone... When someone doesn't have the faith piece of Jesus, mm. do they sometimes get misdiagnosed still today? Well, the, inter- the interesting thing is, is I still know the doctor that misdiagnosed me. He's a friend. Okay. And I went to him about six months ago and I said, did I ever tell you that I had had abortion? And he said, no. I said, do you know that you diagnosed me bipolar. He says, yeah, that's been about 20 some odd years ago, 30 years ago. And I said, yes. And he was very, I love this man to pieces. I said, I lied to you. I said, you diagnosed me correctly. You diagnosed me correctly because I hadn't given you all the information. Mm. He said, you were dealing with unresolved grief. And I said, yes. I said, now that I've walked through my healing, now I know that. But I didn't realize not telling you as a doctor, you didn't have all the information that you needed for what I was Mm. going through at that moment. So you diagnosed me correctly. I don't blame you for what you did, but it put me on a trajectory that now I'm thankful for it. Now that's a strange thing. Now I'm thankful because now I know to tell women, look, this is a real thing. You lie, you continue to keep that thing a secret, it's going to affect every area of your life. There isn't anything that it doesn't affect. It can affect your health. I've had women tell me that their kidneys have gone out on them because they were on lithium, because they'd been diagnosed with bipolar, but they'd had abortions. So this is this, this trauma. So by not, yeah, so by not sharing all of your medical history mm-hmm. with a doctor, mm-hmm. the doctor can... Make, make a mistake because oh, of lack of information. Absolutely. But and, and, is, and what so? But do sometimes doctors make that same call? 
even if they know about well, the abortion, or is that usually yeah. a sign that they, mm -hmm. it's not maybe This by, was a Christian doctor. So maybe it depends on whether the, the faith or the, yes, maybe there, it depends on the doctor, perhaps. It does depend on the doctor. The problem okay. is doctors don't normally go, I'm, I'm not speaking for all doctors, sure. I'm not trying to be, but doctors don't, I mean, when you go into the doctor office as a woman, they don't necessarily have, have you had abortions on the intake form? Um... Not all the time. Yeah, you know, and I wonder. I wonder if they. What do they have on that intake form? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it says miscarriage or pregnancies or. A lot of times they'll say how many pregnancies, but I didn't always put the truth. Oh yeah. Because I had five children, but I had nine pregnancies. Mm. So I had two miscarriages, I had eight pregnancies. I had two miscarriages and I had two abortions. I had twins and I lost one twin in utero. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've had. <laughs> About trauma. I've had trauma. I've had babies, you know, just about any way you can have a baby. I've had abortions. I've had miscarriages. I've had. So the whole picture is, yes, you need to tell the truth. You need to not lie about things for your own health. But when I realized that something was wrong with me, that this wasn't right, you don't feel like this, this shouldn't be feeling like this. I finally went to a psychiatrist and I said, do I have bipolar and he said, after talking with me and giving me information, mm -hmm. he goes, you don't have bipolar. I said, but I told him that I'd had an abortion, two, okay. two abortions. So I had one that said yes and one that said no. So I'm thinking, okay, how do I go back to my husband and tell him? Because he is thinking this woman's bipolar. This is what our problems are. He wasn't going to believe that. So I went to another psychiatrist and I said, am I bipolar? And he said, you're no more bipolar than I am. Now he may have been bipolar. No, he wasn't bipolar. <laughs> he says, he's here, no more bipolar than I am. And I went, would you tell my husband? It affected my marriage. My husband and that was before years finding ago. healing though. Oh yes. This, okay. this was 15 years. But trying to identify where you were. I had no help identifying. Okay. So that's when I knew that this man had been fighting abortion. I did not know anything about what he had done or why he had gone. Or I just knew in my mind that he had fought abortion. So I got his phone number and I called him one night. It was late. And I said, can you help me with this? I need help. And he said, you need to sit on your daddy's lap. You need to put your head on his, on his chest. And you need to let him forgive you. As in Jesus, father. your father? Yes. I mean, or God the Jesus, father? Yes. That mm. started my healing. Okay. But I didn't know what to do with it. I knew that, that I got forgiveness at that moment. But I still had the trauma. Couldn't tell anybody. Couldn't give anybody any idea on what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So that continued down that road. Um so how do you, when, when it comes to post-abortive women mm -hmm. in this country, mm -hmm. um, how, how, do, how, um, and looking at your, your story and, um, what, what's, what kind of healing or what, how is it, what is it like to help other women help find healing? Like, you know, based on your story being, um, 
difficult and hard and 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 seeking healing and finding healing right and then but what's it like to offer healing to others like how did because it feels i mean it feels like you've been equipped to help others that who have come who have also gone through difficult times and what is that like <laughs> i mean i'm assuming it's a good thing or a really good thing as you know to help others to help others sort of find their way through this darkness uh, or this time of trauma. Um, so how would you describe what that's, what that's like to help others well, do the, that? The Lord says that he comforts us so that we can comfort others. He binds up. He told me, I'm going to bind up your wounds so that in the binding up of your wounds, you will know how to bind others' wounds. I was bound by the Father. He showed me who he was. He gave me, mm. he gave me at the foot of the cross, my sin was forgiven. So he bound me up. I knew what it was because he did it personally. He did it for me so that I could then become the comforter for others. But that doesn't mean that I comfort others. I show other people who the comforter is. So you're, so you're reflecting or almost like a road sign saying, <laughs> go to the foot of the cross or yes. go to your father and uh, rest at his feet or, yes. or give him a hug or something along those lines, perhaps. Yes. And Jacob, you know, that is for any sin. And I, I say that because we like to think in this country that Abortion is our national sin. We are, we are fighting this. We're fighting this. We're fighting this. We want, we want revival from this. We, you know, and, and, and I believe that God is going, I do believe God is gracious, even at this moment, just holding back because he could, he could take us all out in one little blink of an eye, right? But he could the, remove his protections. He could, he could, he could remove blessing. He Correct. could, um, but he's not, he's not that kind of a father. He, he allowed me to lay my head on his chest that night. Mm -hmm. I knew that I knew that I knew that he had forgiven me. So when I go and, and I hear a woman's story, it is so comforting to me to know that I have an answer for her. I have an answer for her. She may not want to hear it at that moment, but I have an answer. And the answer is the foot of the cross. The answer is the the cross is the central location. So I have people that ask me, how could you have been a Christian and had an abortion? And I say to them, have you ever sinned? Sin is, is the pinnacle of who we yeah. are. And that's why the cross exists. So, um, yeah, and I, and I think the answer is when you go to a church and the expectation is that there's going to be judgment when they find out that you sinned, and the and the normalness is to hide your sin through a through a facade or, or a smile. Absolutely. And how are you doing? Well, everything is great, <laughs> but in reality, everything is you know maybe if we said great sarcastically, that'd be more true. Have you heard have you heard the song? Um, uh, what's the, what's this? I, I wish I could remember the whole, all the words, but I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Okay. going to play makes, that, that play sense. that for you after the, okay. after the podcast, <laughs> because you gave me a great one today, a great song today, but 
this song is would go to church. Yeah. It's a lie. We, we put on that facade and these women have to wear a facade, men that have had these abortions and the men are right there. Yeah. One in four, you know, we're the, the women one in four. And so they have to go home and filter. We're back to filtering it through that deep, dark, dirty secret that they can't discipline. They can't love their husband. They can't, you know, it all is yeah. affected. Yeah. And, and like not letting it get healed just makes it, it exempt- stay. It does. It, 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 it'll continue to exist and possibly infest. It does. But there's a verse. My favorite verse in the Bible is James uh, five sixteen, where it says, "Confess your sins one to another, um, so that you may be healed." And the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. Gosh. And so, I feel like there's a lot of you know when you when you share your sin, not just with with God, right, but you share it with another person, right, and 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 then they pray for you, yes. Um, there, you know, there is healing from sharing your sin with other people. Correct. And and then and that they prayer, may, and, yeah. they may be healed by hearing your story. They may walk, or at least they might be invited. I think I think more so than them being healed, they might they would be invited. There you go. To Sorry. do the yes. same. Yes. Because oh, and which leads to them being healed. And I not agree. Correct. But they so, need to confess too. So my sin <laughs> is abortion. Yes, it, my sin is abortion, and I should be. <clears throat> Yeah. From being healed and having the joy that God has. Yeah. I should be the most joyful person in the room. I've been forgiven much. And if yeah. I can, if I can take them to the foot of the cross from my yeah. story, then they can look in the mirror tomorrow and go, God, what is my sin that I need to lay at the foot of the cross? Because revival starts here. It starts in our hearts. It's not. It's, it is the nation. Yes, we pray for the nation to be revived. We need a revival. We need, but revival starts when we will lay our sin at the foot of the cross. And then God can use that because you've got a circle of influence of people that I do not have. I've got a circle that you do not have. I asked the Lord, why do I need to write a book? I don't even like to read that much. <laughs> and he said, because your circle of influence is who I've given to you. So it may reach more than that, but we need to take that responsibility. So your sin may not be abortion, but maybe it's pride and anger against these women that have had an abortion. So which one weighs more, the pride and anger that you have against these women, or you're scared to give them, you know, any kind of forget to forgive them. God says, you don't forgive your brother who you do see, you know, so is that another? No, we're still good. Okay. <laughs> different dog. Different so, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what is the sin that you carry that is your bur- burden? Yeah. What is that? So then, I love the fact that people are praying yeah. for these women. I love the fact that we have people that are advocating, that are understanding these women need to know that they have a safe place to land at the foot of the cross. And it's because my sin is equal with your sin at the foot of the cross. There is no level at the foot of the cross. Yeah. We're, we're all broken, yes. broken vessels. We're, we're all equally, you know, we can't hold water. <laughs> We've got cracks everywhere and everywhere. And, um, 
Yeah, and I, and I, I don't want to condemn anyone, or get, but it's <clears throat> not con- condemnation, it's yeah. conviction. Does the conviction land where it should, or are you condemning someone yeah. because you think that their sin... Yeah, and, you know, I, and I think it really... And I, I don't know, there's probably lots of safe places, but I think the sure. safest place from my experience has been a, well, small slash intimate men's group where mm. we can share with each okay. other. Um, uh, you know, when we come together as a group, we're able to share things. And when one person shares about um, about their struggles and their decisions, that invites another person to share. Absolutely. And then, as, and then, when someone else hears these two people sharing, that third person finds it so much easier because they're not breaking ice by having right. to share. Now it becomes like, well, I would like to find that same level of healing and and be brave, just like these two other guys. And right. so, I think small groups are a really good, safe place. And the best way to start it is for someone to start it, and that and essentially that demonstrates. Um, how to do it right. and demonstrates that it's safe because no longer, um, you know, instead of thinking oh, I'm going to be judged by sharing, now it's like I would like to, inc- I'd like to be included in, in this, the healing, in the confession and healing. Yes. And so I think the safest and place is usually it. when someone else takes that brave step and goes first. Absolutely. And, and so think, that's partly yeah. what's happening with these women when they call. Yeah. I have an abortion story. Yeah. I can relate to them. You're not alone. You're in a safe place. Please tell me your story. Yeah. Let us talk together. Let me get you some help. Let me get you an email that will get you to that next step that you can take, that you, when you're ready... And, and that's, that's part of, that's part of where I think we need to go with this. I think that we are, I mean, you go through the post-abortion, I was ready to go through the post-abortion healing. And then I, I knew God was calling me to this ministry. The problem is women that don't want to do what I do in front of a camera or, or give their testimony out or write a book or whatever it is. They're like, what do I do with this now? It's your journey. You'll never not be that child's mother. You'll never not be a post-abortive woman. You have this story. Mm. What do you do with it? Well, I want to work it off. I want to, no, no, no. You're forgiven. You don't have to work it off. There's no, there's no condemnation at the foot of the cross. It's, it's conviction that gets you to the foot of the cross. And then there's no, the sin is, is gone. God does not remember it. Okay. But what we do as as pregnancy resource centers and as post-abortive ministries, we lose these women. Where do they go? They disappear. Why? Why do they disappear? Because they don't take that next step. The next step is being able to tell the people that where is, where is your biggest ministry? It's with your biggest thing that you've walked through with sin. Mm. Someone else needs to hear your story. Now, is it for this moment at this time? Maybe. Is it for five years down the road? Maybe. Maybe your children are small. Maybe you don't want to come out with it. Maybe yeah. you do want to come out with it. But the problem is you've got women that bury that secret. They walk out of the door. They bury the secret down deep and it becomes bondage again. Hmm. So if you don't tell or you don't, and and I want to be careful because (coughs) women that want to be healed, 
and then they don't want to tell their story, I don't say you have to go out and tell your story. But the one thing, you have to be willing, God wants a willing heart to, you don't want to go back into the bondage. Yeah. And sin holds us bondage. When we swallow, you know, when, when, when we feel condemnation, it's because either someone has tried to make you feel like, well, I would have never done that. I couldn't have done yeah. that. And so you, when, when a woman swallows that, it becomes condemnation. And I think what you bring or someone on the helpline mm -hmm. brings is you're able to share first. Correct. Which then, I need to, which yes. then removes, you know, you're essentially saying, you know, essentially it's almost like, you know, setting the stage with humility, saying mm -hmm. that I'm not going to judge you. Right. Because here I am sharing my story. Right. And I'm inviting you to share your story. Correct. And, and, and I'm explaining, you know, and so that it feels like you're creating that safe place, just like in my men's group, when one guy goes first mm -hmm. and then it makes it so that people have, not everyone will then go next because, you know, there's, there's a lot <laughs> of fear. Let me tell you what I got. Let me tell, right. Yeah. Fear. And what does fear do? <laughs> yeah. It in makes my you world, swallow. I've got no sin. Everything's great. And I'm lying. <laughs> 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 I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. They'll say all that, but not say I'm lying. But <laughs> exactly. But yeah, like that's what a lot of us were trained to say is, you know, things aren't just good. They're amazing. Like right. that's what, like, well, that's the now if you, you say anything less than amazing, then what's then, wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong yeah. with you? It's well, just and now okay? you've got the Instagrams <laughs> and all of these things that, you know, you go yeah. on and you, I mean, all the media stuff that it's like, it's one-on-one. -on -one. one of the things that the helpline has helped me do. Yeah. It's helped me to work through these things with these women to be able to, everyone has a story. Yes. Everyone's story needs to be told. Everyone. It's good to be known and it's good to know others. Why do we have the scriptures? We're a continuation of the gospel. If we're not speaking the gospel, the, the scriptures speak of Jesus. Yeah. And we're, we can, we're, we're made in the image of God. We're reflections it. of who God is. Absolutely. And our story includes his fingerprints. Yes. And his yes. interaction with us. And, and if people can see the realness yeah. in you, they can, they'll feel the joy. They'll feel the brokenness maybe, but they'll also feel the joy. And it's like, what mm -hmm. does she have? She's had this in her life. She's had that in her life. She's, what does she have that makes her want to tell her story? I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. I've got the only thing that will, that will give you peace, that will give you comfort, that will bring joy in your life, that will give you something that you can give to others. I mean, there is nothing else. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I they in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. You don't think of walking and leaping as being something that is, but we're all broken. We're all on that mat mm -hmm. until someone says, it's okay to stand up. It's okay to tell your story. It's okay. You're okay. You're not yeah. okay. But Jesus can make you okay. He will take your broken pieces. He will put them back together again. You know, one day I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what do I do with this? How do I, he said, Stephanie, he said, you are broken. He said, but you know how many times do you overflow? You know, it talks about the overflowing of joy 
And joy is one of my favorite words to, to talk about because if someone will see joy in you, it's something that can't be denied. Mm. So he said, he talks about the cup overflowing. He said, how many times does your cup overflow? And I'm like, well, not very often, Lord, but I know that you can make it overflowing, make it overflowing. He's like, why don't you break the bottom off of that cup? Why don't you let me flow through you? Why don't you be a avenue so others will know who I am? You will feel me. You will know me. But I'm not, I'm here for you to give away. Mm. I'm not here for you to store up and become stagnant. And I've, that's one of the, one of the pieces of my story that it's like, I no longer can hold Jesus to myself. Wow. I want to be a conduit for what he has for me. It's like that birthing canal. That's a birthing. That baby's being born into a newness of life. We are being born into a newness of life. Mm. This is a womb. We're in a womb here. We only see partially. That baby sees nothing in the womb. Forgets everything from the womb. Can you imagine a baby in a womb that's being formed that mama feels that baby kick. Why did that baby kick me? Because the neurons are, you think that's electrical? Do you think that baby is feeling the electricity being formed in its body? Does it hurt? It hurts. I don't know, but they say it does. The, the, the doctors are saying they can feel pain. Yeah. Don't you think those neurons in the brain and the, in the heart and the ventricles just, and everything it hurts, start? It hurts the teeth later it on. Hurts. <laughs> it deal. hurts the teeth. So yeah. we're teething. Yeah. We are in a womb. We are blinded. We don't see clearly. We are being born into a newness mm. of life for what? For the next phase that God has for us, which is to be with him. But if you don't know who he is and I'm holding the story inside and somebody needs to know Jesus, it's my responsibility to tell them my story and not be afraid to tell them. Healing is the Healing is the greatest gift that God has given us from sin, and that is at the foot of the cross. Hmm. Okay, so okay, so let's transition and talk about your new ministry, okay. Bulletproof. Tell me, okay. tell uh, let's talk about what what inspired you to start mm. this, and yeah, tell 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 us more. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm in the middle of starting this ministry. It's um, called Bulletproof, and I got the name from a vision that God gave to me, which I've written about and hopefully hopefully have a book out soon. Um, but this, this vision was so real, and I've had dreams, but dreams are, spiritual dreams are different. You know when you've had a spiritual dream. And, um, how do you know it's a spiritual dream? Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not sure how, what that feeling feels mm -hmm. like per se. And I know that some dreams feel different, but how would you describe a spiritual dream? Okay. A spiritual dream for me is that when I wake up, it's still there and I know that I have seen something. So I'm not a dreamologist or whatever those people are that can tell, but okay. I have, I have a, I have a father that loves me enough to let me know in my spirit that this is something you need to pay attention to. Okay. Okay. Um, so I went to sleep one night 
in the middle of the night, I had this vision and I walked in out to, it was an like women as far as the eye could see. There was no end to them. And um, as I watched them, the numbers got bigger and then more women came in and more women and came in. And I'm like, who are you? They were angry and their voices had been cut off. There were no voices. No one was speaking. It was dead silence. And I'm like, who are you? And I wanted to talk to them, but they didn't know I was there. Hmm. I was not in their vision. They did not know. And I looked at them, and they all were dressed the same. They had on battle fatigues. They had camo paint on their faces. They were ready to fight. I could tell that they were angry, but they were milling around. And I'm like, who are you? And as I, as I was thinking through who are they and why are they just milling around and why are they angry? What are they angry at? Mm. And I woke up and I'm like, God, who were those women? Well, it, all day long, it kept pulling at me. It's like, who are you? Who are you? And the Lord finally said, those are post-abortive women. And you're one of them. Now, this was before my healing. This has been about five years ago. And I got excited because I knew that God had called me into this ministry. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. I don't, didn't know anything. But I had some women that, that knew that I'd I had called this ministry in Kansas City called If Not For Grace, and I called them and I said, this was before the dream, and I said, I think I'm supposed to come and visit. I didn't, I just didn't, I needed to take a step, but I didn't know what. My husband had just left, and I knew that I needed healing. So gracious, gracious bunch of women, and it was a full year I had this dream. And so... I was got excited. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of these women out there. Where are they? I had no answer for that. I went back to sleep that night. I was back in the same dream. As I watched these women, they knew I was in this dream. It was, I had tunnel vision at this point. So I'm now looking out of my eyes in this dream. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me like, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I knew I had to do something because they were needing a leader. And I'm like, okay, battalions, we're going to put them in battalions. I didn't know. We know. <laughs> Who are you? You're an army of women and you have no leader. Where are we going with this? I look down. I'm, I'm in the battle fatigues. I touch my face. It's wet. It's got paint all over it. I now understand that I am one with these women. And I'm watching them. And they're looking at me, and I raised my hand to say something, and I couldn't speak. Mm. My voice was severed. And I'm thinking, how am I going to lead if my voice has been cut off? Okay, so every post-abortive woman feels like their voice is cut off. You have no voice. So the next thing you know in the stream only in a dream can you transport to other places. <laughs> so sometimes I wish I could do that here. But we were underneath something. And I'm like, where are we? And I was 
angry. The anger was so, and I had been healed of anger right after my husband left, not three or four weeks, God healed me in a dream of anger. And I knew it. I hadn't been angry. But in this dream, I had this anger that was so, so bad that I, I was like, where is this anger coming from? But my chin was on my knees and mm. I was crammed into a ball. I'm like, where are we? So I looked down to my left and I looked down to my right and I'm thinking, how are we going to get out of here? Of course, I'm thinking, trying to think like a leader. What does a battalion leader do? I don't know, but we got to get out of here. So these women all are in the same situation underneath whatever's holding us down. I look left, then I look right. And I'm like, we're in rows. Why are we in rows? And I go to turn my head back forward and we couldn't stand up. That's what was making me mad. I'm claustrophobic. And I was like, I gotta get out of here. I look forward and something almost hits me in the face. And I look again and it's something swinging forward and it comes back and almost hits, hits me in the face again. I'm like, what is that? It kind of slows down and I see that it's little patent leather shoes and white frilly socks. It's this little girl and she's swinging her legs back and forth. And I'm thinking, what is she doing sitting on top of me? So I look back down the rows and I see we're in this building of some kind, millions of women in a building. Okay. When I look down, I see other legs in front of me, in front of the women, but they're not little girl. It's just legs. I woke up. So yesterday was, who are these women? Today, tonight, or on the next night, was, where are we? This second part did not come as quickly as the first part. God did not give me that answer right then. And I sat with that for a while. And it was probably a week later. And finally, the Lord said, you're under the pews in the church. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? (laughs) So one of the hardest places for us to get into to talk, there's one in four women in the church that are dealing with abortion. We are not talking about this in our church. I know that there was a film here tonight. They're talking about the church and trying to get this started in the churches, talking about it. These women are hiding. So I went to the Lord. I said, what do I do? What do I do? This has been five years ago. I'm just now getting to a place where I, I feel like God's given me this ministry, this bulletproof. This is where bulletproof came from. So, um, when you have Jesus, when you can set at the foot of the cross, nothing can harm you. These women need to understand that you're bulletproof. Mm enemy cannot take away what God does not allow him to take away. I was stripped of everything. Okay. I was stripped of everything. My family, everything, 14 grandchildren. Okay. My children loved me, but they didn't understand what was going on. And so God has restored back to me because he told me, he said, lay down, do not fight. Do not fight this man's way. It will lead to death. If you allow me to fight it spiritually, it will lead to eternal life. Now, not mm. every woman does that. Not you, not every woman can do that. There's different circumstances. Everybody's got their own story. But this was mine. 
in obedience, I did what God called me to do, which was to lay down. In that obedience, I then was able to hear what God had to say to me. There were no distractions. Stephanie, you were your own idol. You've got to lay down. You've got to allow me to work in my time. Now, five years later, this this ministry is coming to fruition. It's not going to be overnight. This is a journey. I don't know how much longer I have to live. I may not be gone. I may be gone tomorrow. This may be the last time that anybody ever sees my face on anything. So it sounds like so women that call H3 mm. are looking looking for help. Absolutely. And then people that go through a post-abortive um, program, Bible study, retreat, sure. are and essentially, let's say they have Jesus included, and they they put it at the cross. They're essentially you know working towards that, and it sounds like you're focusing on helping them in that post-abortive space. Are, are you helping them get there and then continue, or is it mostly just the continuing? after reaching that point? Like, how would you, in that journey, where would you say Bulletproof is working to help? Or where, what's your, where, where do you feel called to be in that on that road? I think the trauma that comes from abortion, I think that the trauma is something that women don't get. They don't understand what the trauma does. They, and I think trauma is... I think we talked about this a little bit. Trauma is is the next thing that we're going to have to really get people to understand. Abortion is not just about the baby. Abortion is about the trauma that the mother and the father at some point, once he realizes what he's done, because he doesn't understand the connection between him and the baby until he's got a baby in his hands, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I just talked to a woman tonight about that. I don't understand why he doesn't understand where I'm at because he's not seen anything. He doesn't understand it. You've got the hormones raging in your body still. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a clue. So to get the men on board, they need to understand that this part of the woman's healing, not that because a lot of the fathers aren't still with the mothers. Now, mine was, but so that healing is going to be separate. They're going to come at separate times. They're maybe never, ever going to come together and heal together. That's fine. But the trauma that the woman goes through is something that we as the post-abortion ministries need to start letting them know from the beginning of that process, like if they're in a retreat or if they're in a Bible study or whatever, that this has to be God. Let me, let me, let me go forward for a second. Sure. So God does not take us somewhere that he does not prepare us for. So we have to use that analogy. We have to use that example. And we have to start talking about this from the very first time. Every time I talk to a woman on the phone, this is your journey. This does not stop. This is a journey. You will have triggers that will happen. You will have things that will come up that you'll have to deal with. I'm still dealing with things. So you'll have to, um, these post-abortion ministries should start 
integrating that into their curriculum to say, and they do, some of them do, and, and most of them do, but in order not to lose them after they go through the ministry, you want them to understand that this is now their story. This is now, especially women that understand who Jesus Christ is when there's no condemnation at the foot of the cross. That is where they can stay. They do not have to pick it up and go, well, but this person's going to condemn me. This person's going to condemn me. No, there is no condemnation to Christ Jesus. So if you work through Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no wall. There's no, there's no, it's not there. It is a facade. So we live in our lie. We swallow that lie back down. We're not going to tell this person because they may judge me. That's on them. That's their sin. That's not your sin. You have already con- you've already put that at the foot of the cross. So the trauma, we've got to get these women where they're bulletproof. Okay, they need to understand they're bulletproof. It's it's a it's a strange concept because you think, but isn't that counterproductive? You're using bullets to try to bring life, and yet bullets kill. And no, no, no. We've got the armor of God on. Yeah. This. You know, the only, the only thing when, it, when, when, a, when a man went to, to war and he had armor on, the only thing that was accessible to him was his back. What do we use on our back? Um, what does God put on us? Let's see. Well, the breastplate would be front only, I suppose. Okay. The shield, would that be? Um... Everything is a frontal things. So you, you get, you get attacked from the back. What is, I'm, this is not a fair question to you. No, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. See, uh, what, is God, belt, what does God put on us? He puts on us a garment of praise for the oh. spirit of heaviness. I wasn't aware of that. That's, okay. that's interesting. Okay. There's a scripture that put on the garment, garment of, praise. of praise. So how do we get out of the condemnation that other people are going to think that they have a right to give to us? By putting on the garment of praise, they no longer have, when, we're, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we have our eyes on him, the world is very, it's, it's out of view. We don't, you know, the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus and, and the world will, will fade from view. Interesting. Yeah. The, um, the, the posture of praise is often very vulnerable. Okay. And, and speaking of the back, it's, so, but the garment, the garment of praise doesn't sound very metallic. <laughs> <laughs> no. However, the enemy doesn't come around when they're, when you're praising Jesus. Okay. He doesn't have a place. There is no place for him. Okay, so he cannot penetrate so, your, yeah, your so garment it's like of praise. Mosquito repellent on. <laughs> no mosquito repellent. <laughs> now down here in Florida, you need mosquito repellent. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like it repels him. So like, absolutely, he, he cannot come he against like me when I'm in a position smells. of praise. He doesn't. He has to it flee. It smells really good. It does. The aroma, and that's yeah. what Christ calls. He, that's what he calls us to. Okay, and and you know. One day I was standing in church and I had my arms raised and, and I'm a prayer. I'm a prayer praiser. I, I, I praise and worship. And when I had yeah. my arms in a praise and worship, um, stance, the Lord asked me, he says, where are your arms? And I'm like, okay, they're in the air. What does that mean? What is that a sign of? 
He says, what happens when someone comes across a finish line? They put their arms up in yeah. victory. So when, when a man comes across or a woman across the finish line, they're, they're oh, arms are raised in me, victory. Uh, yeah. Take this off because I think yeah. it might be bumping into that. Ah. Just, just, uh, <laughs> I'll continuity. Okay. <laughs> you're good. All right. Whenever you're, yeah, go ahead. Let's do that again. Okay. So when a man comes across the finish line, he, or woman in the, in a race, sure. they raise their arms in victory, right? He said, what other position is that? It's a position of surrender. Mm. So when we surrender Christ to Christ, we have victory in him. Okay. So praise and worship is giving glory and honor to God. And it's, you're surrendering. Mm. And in that surrender, there's victory. Yeah. One of the things, uh, one of the, I can't remember which pastor at my church said this, but he said, uh, when the armor of God, like mm-hmm. the, the defensive piece, the shield, mm. he says, it's not, it's not your faith or your shield. It's you're, you're, you're using Jesus's faith. His faith, his faith makes up that shield. And so when yeah. it comes to like Ooh, that's good. the defensive ability of Jesus's faith mm-hmm. and Jesus's protection, um, from the enemy's darts, um, it's not in our faith. We're, we're using his faith as the shield. Mm-hmm. And because if it was our faith, it would probably look <laughs> like there's some holes in it, right? Very much so. <laughs> or, or maybe it would be the small as a mustard seed or something. <laughs> it would be as small as a mustard seed for me. A I would have Lego shield. Going, Can I please have that mustard tree? I need the tree. I don't want the, the, but, the yeah, seed. So, yeah, so the pastor of my church was describing how we're, we're using Jesus's faith as our shield, and and, and I'm yeah, and so thinking of the the, the concept of being bulletproof, mm. that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Yes. Um, and so yeah, and I think and we also yeah, have hiding behind his shield, his almost shield. like and his, yeah. you know, and he, and he there's verses about him spreading his wings, wings. and protection. Oh, absolutely, and, and, you know, yeah, and, the, and the verse of like you know, in Psalms, like you know, the wings don't sound bulletproof, but when they're made out of yeah, you know, but when it comes to like Jesus's faith as that covering, that sounds very bulletproof. So I use Psalm 91 a lot when I'm talking to women of faith on the phone because. If you take that, that actually is my nine one one verses that saved my life one night. Which verse was this? Psalm 91. Okay. And it talks about the feathers and the, sh- the buckler. Okay? Yeah. The bu- the- and the feathers seem very comforting and, they and are. warm and protective, protective from the elements. It is. And so, and soft. And it is. And, and you put your name in anything that refers to you, you put your name and you start reading it to yourself. And some, I've told the women on the phone, pull out your Bible, get out Psalm 91, put your name in it, begin to read it to yourself, find out what Christ says about you, how he's going to protect Mm. you, how he's going to give you his covering. Those feathers are the most soft thing that a mother can, a mother hen or a mother, you know, bird can give to their, but it also protects them from the rain. It protects them. Now, can their darts get through? Absolutely. But God's still our protector, and he knows when that's going to happen. So what happens next? We need to take our thoughts captive. We need to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked. Okay? We we need to, to do that, too. By what? Arming our brain and our mind and our hearts with the Word of God. Okay? So what does the Bible say? 
about the establishment of who we are. It says that he reached into the miry pit. He pulled me out. He put me on a rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my heart, a song of praise and worship before him. So he's the one that puts that in our hearts. All we have to do is be obedient and open Hmm. to him to do that. Yeah, when it comes to those... um putting those thoughts at mm. Jesus' feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that you had sold everything, and you mentioned that God sort of directed that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds like as if, you know, when there was the, the rich young ruler who came in front of Jesus and said, you know, here I am doing these good things. I'm, I'm, I'm following every law. And Jesus says, um, give away everything to the poor, I believe, or, you know, give away your things. And he turned around and left because it was too much. It was too much. But yet here you are and tell it, tell me your story. Cause it sounds like you had an experience where Jesus said something like that to you. I have been directed, been directive. <laughs> oh, wait, one Lord. sec. Yep. Me, uh, we want to, um, let's, I don't know how no, to. Go ahead. Uh, let me just make sure it's not. Um, I had it. Oh, bouncing on that dress. Yeah. Is that better? I think it's going to be okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Um, yeah. So tell me how, um, what was your experience and what, what Jesus may have said to you about that? Well, I'd been married for 33 years and my husband left and sometimes God doesn't really give you a directive. He just directs. Okay. (laughs) So I knew that he was calling me into this ministry because I knew that that's where my deepest hurts were. Mm. And I knew I had been healed of that. And so in obedience, when, when my husband left, I knew that God was calling me and, and I, this is exactly what I told him. I said, use every molecule of me up for you before I die. I don't Mm. want to leave anything on the table. And God is my witness. He knows that I, these were my prayers because I was broken. I was so broken. And everything that I thought was mine, that I had control over, I saw them slipping away. And I saw my friends not have time for me. It's not that they didn't like me. They just didn't have time for me. So God pulled them out. I thought, well, those aren't my idols. Cause God asked me one day, he says, what are your idols? And what are you going to do about them? That was at a kitchen table. I was mm. sitting at my kitchen table and I thought my idols, Lord, I got, got a lot, but I told you, I'll give you whatever you want. And I was at, I was at my kitchen window that day and he said, okay. So my friends started having, not having time for me. My children began to leave the house. They started getting married. They started having, you know, their own lives and this Mm -hmm. and that. And then one day my husband left and he goes, because I thought those were my idols. I'm like, Lord, you gave these to me. He said, but Stephanie, idols are not necessarily bad things. 
So you love these things. And I did give them to you, but I didn't mean for you to idolize them. So Mm. as these idols are being taken one by one, I'm saying, oh, that's my idol. Oh, that's my idol. That's my idol. And then he said, my husband left and he goes, now who's your idol? And I didn't have anybody left. It was just me. And he said, and you are your own idol. What is the, the deepest, darkest sin that all of us have is self-idolization, mm-hmm. pride, pride or false humility. It's the same animal. Okay. You've got humility in the middle. You got false humility on one side and you got pride here on the other. Mm-hmm. And he said, you are your own idol. Get yourself out of the way. I didn't even know what that meant. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. But he began to teach me how to do it. And I began to listen. I began to hear what he was talking. You know, I would read the scriptures. I would, I would had devotionals that I did not put my feet on the ground in the morning until I had read those devotionals, until I had read the word of God, had my mind set on him, knew that this was the direction that he was going to, every morning I did this. And, um, You'll have to read the rest of the book for the rest of that yeah. story. However, <laughs> it's a good plug. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got to get that completely done. So, so when, <laughs> so when that happened, um, I began to understand that he was calling me to this ministry. I then called, if not for grace, and I said, I think I need healing. I then had the dream that next year I went to healing. It was all in God's timing. So we always want to go to that next thing. And God says, I have pieces that I'm putting together on the outside of this. So you have to wait. You have to not maybe sit still, but you have to be still. There's a difference between sitting still and being still. So being still is being still before the Lord. Sitting still is not doing anything. Now, I was doing stuff, but I was also listening okay. and hearing what, and I can see, and once you start looking for the timing of God, he created time and space for us to see him. Everybody says, oh, it's coincidence. Oh, it's karma. No, no, no. Time and space was created so that we would see God. Mm, that's beautiful. So if something happens to you and you're like, that was interesting. Was it interesting? No, that was God. So recognizing, you start recognizing those little tiny things and the big things start Mm. happening. And you are then able to go, Father, I see you. I see you. And as you see him, you'll see him more and more and more and more. And it becomes this beautiful picture where I can trust that. I can trust what you're saying. I see in your word what you're saying. I see what you're doing. So it's got to be, I believe what you're telling me. So that's kind of how that all began. So, yeah. So when did, how did you experience God, God's direction or voice saying 
to go down to four suitcases. <laughs> How did what did that what did that look well, like? <laughs> it was remember when I told you that God doesn't take you somewhere that he doesn't prepare you for? Mm-hmm. Okay, well I believe that. Yes. So he'll begin to start showing you things. He'll teach you. You will start okay. So I knew that that I needed to give everything over to him, but I didn't know how. But I had this desire in my heart to to be completely every molecule used up for him. How do you do that? I had to recognize that nothing was mine. In fact, one day I want I needed some finances. Okay. And I didn't want to go back and ask my husband for them because that okay. was not a good thing, not a good place for me. Okay. And he said, how dare you not utilize what I have given to you? You haven't come back and thanked me for how I have provided for you all these years. Your husband is the tool that I used to provide for you. Come back and thank me for that. And I provided for him, by the way, too. I provided for him his brains. I provided for him his tools. I provided for him what he did to provide for the family. So if you don't go back and thank God for how he's provided Mm. for you through the gifts that he's given to you to use for him, then he's going to come back and hold you responsible for that. So I started thanking God for my ex-husband, which was the first step in forgiveness. When you start thanking God for the things that he then brings forgiveness in, in mm. ways that you can't even begin so to imagine. It sounds like that was really hard to do. And it was oh, not it was something you would horrible. would do naturally or organically, but yet out of, only out of obedience that that would be a decision to make. It was, it was freeing because now God was providing for me, but he was providing for me the way that he wanted to provide for me, not the way that I thought he should provide for yeah. me. Yeah. So at that point, Um, I started doing some political work in Missouri and it was, I, I spoke before Congress for the heartbeat bill, spoke before the house Senate. I mean, the Texas heartbeat bill or the Missouri, the Missouri heartbeat Mm -hmm. bill is that one hasn't passed as of yet. It did, did. but it's in the courts. It's in the, okay. (laughs) It's being, yeah, we're, it's, it's an interesting, yeah. What year was that? 2018. Okay. So that was before or during before your your healing. Yeah, it was it was or right right, it was right the same before time. or it, the same time. It was okay. This, all of this is like <laughs> <laughs> the timeline is crazy and I would have never seen myself doing anything political because like I had that's a long story. Sure. You have to read the book. Yeah. Okay? yeah that's yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so in all of that as that started to happen, I realized that God had something different. I mean, that was part of the filler in between where I am then and now. Okay. So it gave me a feel for what the post-abortion stuff and the abortion stuff was doing. And, you know, I then learned why we have abortions like we do on demand here in the United States of America, because it's not a law. It's not a law. It's a ruling. It's a ruling. It's a ruling. There is no law. Okay. Yeah. I had to come to an understanding. I had a, I'd written down three pieces on, on a piece, piece of paper, three names that I wanted to go visit when I went to the Capitol the first time in Missouri, three names. 
I went and visited the first one and he said, I know the person you need to go see. I said, who's that? And he told me the person, the last person I had on the, on my list. I said, I've got three names. You're one and he's the other one. See how God prepared me for that day that I was going down green as green, green, green could be. Did not know anything about what I was doing. I had a friend going with me, but I went down and I prayed for this man who is now a senator in Missouri, prayed for him as a representative in his office. That started me down the road of, he knew that he had an advocate in me. He knew that I would come. He knew that I would speak. He knew that I would, you know, I mean, it was, we prayed for each other. He said, I need more of this. This is what we can do. I mean, we don't think we make a difference. God makes a difference when we step forward in obedience. Mm. God makes a difference. He makes a path for us to be used by him in a way that you may think praying for someone is not that big of a deal. But this man was like, I mean, he had people coming in and out of his office all the time. But something told me, pray for him right here, right now. Well, it's God. And he saw it. So God prepares the way. He prepares the path. All of that to say this. So I'd gone down that road. All of that had happened. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I was being, you know, I was not working. So my we had had a business that we'd run. And so it was it was helping to pay for my some of my some of my life at that point. Um, so when, when you went down to four suitcases. Yeah, I'm going to go there. What, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So where, how did that come about? Wh- yeah. Where did, what did, how did, yeah. What were the steps that you took to experience, you know, to obey God? It was that not calling? easy. It, it sounds really hard. <laughs> like, it was one of those things that I had a house full of stuff. What do you do with this stuff? Well, the, yeah. What did you do with well, your stuff? <laughs> So my parents had acreage up in Kansas City, eight acres, right in the middle of Kansas City. Okay. Okay. They had two houses, which I lived in the little one. My mom and dad were 82 and 84, something like that at the time. Okay. Now, I began to see them deteriorate. My dad said he was going to die on that piece of property. That was where he was going to die. And I couldn't take care of them anymore. So I realized... I mean, all this time, God had been putting in the back of my head. I don't understand where the thought came from. Why four suitcases? My summer clothes, my winter clothes, my ministry bag, and my toiletries. Okay. That was what I saw. But that doesn't, I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, where did that come from? I don't, I can't answer that question for you because I'm not God. But I knew that that God was preparing me for something that was small, that you needed to be able to move. Yeah, it sounds like you're being prepared to live in a, in a, you know, the ability to travel. That was what my thought was. But I didn't know what does that even look like? What is it for? So I then, my, my dad got sick not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before. So my dad got really, mm-hmm. really sick. So I actually moved in with them to help. My mom was going down downhill. I then could not take care of them by myself anymore. My brother was a music minister in Florida. And so I called him and I said, I need, I need help. I can't do this. And he said, get them on an airplane, bring them to Florida. Suitcase in hand. We all got on an airplane. I moved them to Florida. I've not taken them back home. I went back home this last summer, sold all their stuff so that they could live down in Florida. 
they're not doing well. They're okay. God's teaching me through death about him. Hmm. This is all part of living. And we want to, we want to, we want to whitewash death. We don't want to, it to be part of life. We want someone else to take care of that. Mm -hmm. That is not what God calls us to. He calls us to take care of our parents until we can. And there's some, there's sometimes you can't, but we've whitewashed it. (laughs) So anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother subject. So I brought them down, went back up to Kansas city, sold all their stuff. And in the process sold all my stuff, which I didn't have much left. I had already, I had a bed, I had a few things, but I had pretty much gotten rid of everything because I didn't know what was going to happen. I had, I was living in a little room in my parents' home trying to take care of them and it wasn't working. Got them down here, came down here. I now, I rent from some people in, in our church, have an outside entrance, don't have a kitchen. And this is exactly where God wants me right now. It's not fun, but I know I'm in a safe place. I'm in a godly home. These, I'm not with my brother. My, my folks are with my brother. Um, but the people that I live with, I mean, they love Jesus. So I know I'm in a, a God-filled environment. Mm-hmm. And God has got me down to what I could put in my car and bring down to Florida. So is it four suitcases? Hmm, give or take a little bit. <laughs> sure. But that's where I'm at now. So what it looks like from here, I don't know. And I'm excited to know what the like, next chapter yeah, is. Yeah, it, it, it seems like um, it seems like your anchors have been lifted. And, and like the anchor of stuff anchor. is a pretty big anchor. That was one of the most freeing things I have ever done in my entire lifetime. I have nothing to hold me down. Nothing. Yeah. God is calling me to something that. Yeah. Like, like, you know, for you to be able to go somewhere Mm -hmm. um, would only be gas money. (laughs) And that's expensive right now, just so you know. But my car does get 50 miles to the gallon. So, you know, God has provided that for me. Yeah. But, I mean, but, is that, but that's like, yeah, you don't right. have, uh, yeah, there's, no. there, there doesn't sound like there's a dog. No, no. <laughs> there's not a, there's not a, there's not a lawn care involved. No. The there's, only thing that I lament is my yeah. 14 grandchildren mm. and my five children and their Okay. Spouses. So there's some, still some anchors. I do have anchors. I, yeah. I have, I have a beautiful family. Yeah. Well, um. Well, I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And it feels like there's, you know, we're here we are and, you know, on the journey and yes. in the next chapter, possibly of <laughs> your book or some second book, I'm not sure which, but, uh, but obviously, yeah, there's more to be told. And, um, but I really appreciate you sharing about, um, trauma, you know, the, the, you know, the experience of finding healing through trauma mm. from trauma, sorry. And, and through it. And I mean, through it. it. It is. And by sharing it, it, it sounds now. like sharing it has um, it has medicinal value by helping others find right. healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for helping others find healing and 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 for, yeah, for essentially um, 
working with God, even through, you know, and by, you know, and, and it feels like there's also like these, you know, God was present in, you know, throughout this journey and story and there's fingerprints of him, mm, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and his love and grace is sort of weaved throughout even these difficult times. And I, yeah, and it, um, and, and it's just and like, you know, why do we go through hard things? Um, and sometimes God is preparing you to help others who are going through hard things, perhaps. I'm, I'm not, I don't understand everything, but I feel like there's a greater story here. You know, Caleb, he, he told me. Oh, Jacob. Jacob. I keep trying to call you my son-in-law's real, name. Sorry really about that. Not, it's really late. It's very late. Okay, go back. It's almost midnight. Retake. <laughs> you so, going. Fine. So, so he told me. Yeah. The Lord showed me where in binding up, the, like I said, the, binding up the other's wounds that are binding up my wounds, that he would bind up others through me. And that is a promise that we can all take from this is that when he binds up your wounds, not only do you want to, but you have a responsibility. People find Jesus through their hurts and pains. What does a, what does a doctor do? He wounds you to pull out the infection. Mm. He has to wound you. So you've got the infection. You got a broken arm. He has to go in there and set it. He wounds you again, though, opening it up in order to fix it. So that's what Christ does. He, he wounds us. He allows us to be wounded. He doesn't wound us, but he allows us to be wounded. So then in the binding up of our wounds, we will know how to bind others. Mm. He's done that for me. He's done that for you. You sitting here giving people the opportunity to tell their story. That's binding their wounds. That's binding the wounds of others. You're, you're in, I mean, this is, this is part of your ministry. Yeah. So everybody has a ministry. Find your ministry and help others help Christ in his bringing the, the sheaves in, bringing the flock in and be willing to be used. He will be willing. That's all. Hmm. Awesome.
our judgments Break down our dividing walls Teach us your justice
Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. One more time. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Know the Lord, He is God, it is He who made us. We are the sheep of His pasture.
Make a joyful noise to the Lord. 